everybody. Welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening, and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Well, hey, First Pres, we're talking about revival, and today we're talking about how the church, it isn't just something that exists inside a building. It exists, uh, it's a movement, and, and it's a movement that reaches a city like Colorado Springs. It's a movement that, that grows and thrives no matter what's happening. And, uh, and so we just wanted to offer the scripture from this spot up over the city, recognizing how Jesus moves out to reach cities and to seek and save the lost. So I encourage you to open your Bible to John 17 as uh, we continue in this series and we're looking at this prayer that Jesus offered at the end of the Gospel of John. And as we open our scriptures, let's open our hearts in prayer. Lord, wherever we are, your word can reach us. Your living word comes to us and it compels us to believe, to have deeper faith, to know who you are and to know who we are, Lord, in your sight. So open our hearts to receive your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John 17, 6 to 11. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. This is God's word, and we're grateful. Amen. Well, here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the doors. Whoop, empty chairs. Where, what's going on here? No, no, no. People. People. You know, the church, it, it has a steeple, but the steeple, that isn't the church. The church, it has... Uh, fists and little thumb doors, but, but the fists and thumb doors, that's not the church. The church, if you fold your fingers, right? The church, the church is, is the people. It's the people. There's nothing sadder than an empty church. It's like an empty restaurant, but everything's empty. The restaurants are empty. The schools are empty. The, the theaters, the, the stage, the, 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 the stadiums and, and the parks, everything, everything's empty right now, empty. But friends, the church isn't gone when the building is empty. No. Because the church isn't the building. The church isn't the steeple. The church isn't the doors. The church is the people. The church isn't gone. Is First Pres gone because the building is empty? No. No. First Pres is alive. We're talking about Revival And no revival is possible until the people of God, the church, know themselves. Not as a, as a building, not as a religious institution, but no revival is possible until the people of God know themselves as a people on mission. 
sent by Jesus on mission to seek and to save the lost and to reach the world with the good news of eternal life found in Jesus Christ. Without the people, there is no church. The building can come down, the the doors can come off, the steeple can come down, but without the people, there is no church. If you've been around Christians for a while, if you've heard a few sermons, you've heard this said. I mean, this is not a big new idea that the church is not the building, it's the people, right? But we still get stuck on it. We still get stuck on it. Church comes from the German word Kirche, and uh, that was the name in, in Germanic language of all the pagan temples. And when, they came, when the Christianity came through and all of those sites became Christian sites, well, they just started calling them the same thing, Kirche, church. It's, it's over there. But that's not the biblical word. The biblical word for church is ecclesia. And it means a, a group that's been called out. A group that's been called out on a mission. Ecclesia. That's the church. Jesus saying, follow me. That's how it starts, not with the building. Not with the building. The building is just a tool. It's a good tool. It's a helpful tool. In fact, it's, it's our most expensive tool. And that's why we take care of it. We want to, uh, we want to polish it and, and keep it clean and keep it useful and add features and shift things around. Why? Because the building is the most powerful material tool that we have in the world for the mission that Jesus has given us. But it's just a tool. It's just a hammer. It's just a laptop. It's just, it's just an instrument to be used by the church Church is a people on mission for the glory of God to seek and save the lost and to reveal eternal life one in Jesus Christ by his grace. So to illustrate this, we shut the building down for a few months. Don't know if you noticed, but we just, just as an illustration, just to help us to get this in our head, we thought, let's shut the building down. You see, you could shut it down, and then you'll see. Where is the church? Where is the church? Revival is impossible until the people of God see themselves as the church, as a people on a movement, on mission for God, to follow Jesus, to seek and save the lost, to bless the world after the manner and the pattern that Jesus blessed the world. Jesus who said, I give my life for the life of the world. Jesus who gave himself away. We want to bless the world in that same way. A people on mission to the glory of God. Revival isn't possible until we see ourselves that way. But you know, nobody really believes that the church is just a building. You know, we say that, but uh, only the most, I mean, maybe some, maybe the most, you know, deadened uh, churches would, would really say the church is just a building. I mean, if the church is a, kind of just a museum with a, an endowment that give, pours out enough money to polish the woodwork and keep the brass shiny, and, and it's just a museum, you know? It's just a cobwebbed old museum. There are a few of those. But most of us, we don't really think of the church as a building. But what I do find is that if we're not careful, we can think of the church as a religious service provider. We, think that not, we don't just say, oh, the church is a building downtown. I mean, that'd be foolish. 
But the church is an institution that I view as my religious service provider. And if I'm not careful, I get into a posture of thinking, well, this is what I do. I write my check, I give my money, I pay my membership dues, and then I wait to receive my religious services according to my personal preference. Does that sound like that hits a little closer to home? Friends, revival isn't possible until we move, we make a shift from looking at the church as a building or a religious service provider to looking at the church as a people on mission. Jesus prayed for the church in John 17, and that's our guide to prepare to host revival right here. We need to go through five shifts as a church in the way we think about our church, we pray about our church, and the way that we activate in doing church. And the first shift we talked about last week, from confusion that offers a thousand good things to clarity, a laser-focused devotion to the mission that Jesus has, has given us. We have to be focused, dialed in. Distractions are not harmless, Distractions are not harmless. They, they suck our energy away from the one clear goal. Jesus put it this way in verse three, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Well, today, today we, we shift, in the second shift, our thinking from church as a building to church as a people. From church as a religious service provider to church is me. Church is us, a people on mission for the glory of Christ. Verse six, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, Jesus says in his prayer as he prayed for us. They were yours, you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Okay, the first thing, when Jesus prays for the church, do you notice this? Right off the bat, He's praying for a group of people. He's praying for a group of people. They. Now, as soon as you get into this passage, you are entering into that great mystery of salvation, this question of, uh, of even of predestination, of this question of who's in charge of my salvation. Is, it, is God in charge or am I in charge. You see, Jesus prays and he says, I'm praying for these people because you gave them to me. You, you God gave them to me. Well, that sounds very much like God is totally in charge. God is giving Jesus these people. That sounds like Ephesians, right? When you read in Ephesians 2 how I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I mean, I was lost and, and I was darkened and I was just drifting down the river according to the whims and currents of, of this world powers of this present darkness and, and God reached down and, and he saved me. I was lost and dead in my trespasses and sins. God reached down and snatched me up and saved me. God saves. And then Jesus prays about them. He says, and they obeyed. Well, now that sounds like there's some kind of a response there. Like God saves and then they obeyed. They, they responded with, with trust and with faith and and obedience. God is doing the saving. In the mystery of salvation, there's a response that comes. Listen, God saves. God is at work. The great revivals in history, they were not uh, moments where where people suddenly had an ability to make good spiritual decisions. 
They were moments when God was doing something huge. And they emphasize the fact that it's, it's not about making good spiritual decisions. It's about, it's about relaxing, resting, receiving the loving arms of Jesus, the loving arms of a sovereign God who is doing something in the world, who is moving to save, who is moving to rescue souls out of the pain and the anxiety and the worry of this present darkness. God is doing something. That's revival, what God is doing. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're watching for. God on the move. Listen, revival is not a, a turn of the community spirit toward a general interest in religion. Puke, excuse me, but no. <laughs> revival is God. Revival is the Holy Spirit stirred up and poured out over the people of God, deepening devotion, sharpening service, opening hearts to faith, saving souls. Revival is God on the move. It's what God is doing, not what we're doing. That's what we want to see. It's the arm of God sweeping across the landscape and saving souls. It's the hand of God reaching into people's lives and pulling them into salvation. It's the finger of God penetrating minds and hearts with, with the fire of the light and the heat of the gospel. It's what God is doing. God is on the move. That's revival. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're watching for. God is on the move. And what do we want to do? Well, by God's mercy, we, just, we don't want to get in the way of what God is doing. And what's God doing? It's not building a building. He's saving a people and putting a people on mission. See, Jesus... <laughs> Jesus never signed a lease. Jesus never, uh, never wrote a bylaws statement. Jesus, his investment, his investment was in people that he saved and put on mission for his glory. Church is that people on mission. Revival isn't possible until we make that shift. We don't think of ourselves as a building or a religious service provider out there looking for memberships. We, 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 we think of ourselves as the people of God on mission with a purpose. Ecclesia, called out and sent forth. Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. That's church, people on the move. We see these people described as Jesus prays for them. Where do we look to find the church? Building's close. Where do we look to find the church? You look for a people on mission. And what do they look like? What are they gonna be like? Well, look at verse six. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Obeyed. They obey the word of God. They obey the word of God. Can you find a people on the face of this earth with commitment to something higher than their, their, their personal benefit. Commitment to something higher than, than economic benefit or, or civic benefit. Can you find a people on this earth committed to something higher 
than even than, than their own national borders and nationalism. They're, they're part of something that's bigger than everything on the face of the planet. Can you find a people? See, the people of God, the church, are a people on mission, and this people is committed to living out what Jesus taught. Not just thinking about it, not just talking about it, obeying it, obeying it. That's the first thing, obey, doing it. Verse seven, now they, what? They know that everything you have given me comes from you. Well, listen, what do they know? They know God. They know that Jesus has come from God, that all that he's disclosing is from God. They know God. Find a people on this earth who know God, and they stand out. You know, this is, this is part of the quality of the people of God. They know God. And not in some kind of like, um, some kind of like prideful look down your nose way like I know God. But in a way that you've got a personal intimacy with God your Savior. You're walking with God. And you know that you, it's by grace alone. You have no reason. You, you have, it's totally a gift. But God has given his presence to you. You have communion with God in Jesus Christ. And he walks with you by his Holy Spirit. You know his presence. And you just have a divine sense that you're with God. You don't deserve it, but he's with you. You don't go through life alone. You know, wherever you are, you're not in your apartment alone. God is with you. You don't sit there in the waiting room alone. Jesus sits with you. You don't, you don't answer the phone for your test results alone, wondering how am I going to handle this Alone, no, Jesus is with you. He's with you on the phone. He's, he's with you walking through everything that you go through in life. You are with the Lord. You know the Lord. Friends, that makes you stand out. That's a different people. That's the people of God. And their hope is in, is in this Jesus that they know. You see, these people, they don't just hope in, uh, in what the world can do. Sure, they hope in, in what science can produce, they hope in what doctors figure out, but that's not their final hope. Their final hope is in what God can do and what God is doing right now. They know that God is at work. They hope in, uh, in what people do, that people will be good and wash their hands and wear their masks and all that. And, but that's not their final hope. Their final hope is in God. They hope that government leaders make good decisions and that things, you know, there's wisdom and, and that uh, uh, the government and, and all these folks, you know, can help us find the, the way forward. But that's not their final hope. Their final hope is in Jesus Christ because they know that in Christ there is victory. That makes you different. You see, that makes you stand out. Look for the church. Where's the church? It's the people of God who obey. It's the people of God who know who know God, walk with them. That makes them different. Makes them different. Okay, pick up the pace here, Pastor Tim. Verse eight. There's more. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. What are some more qualities of the people of God? Where do you find the people of God on mission? Well, they accepted the word. Their hearts are soft soil. They accepted it. Not only did they accept it, but they believed it. They believed the word. That's the word for faith. They had faith. They put their trust and their faith in the word, in what Christ has revealed. 
And there's a few other characteristics. We look at verse 10. And glory has come to me through them. See, there's a people on the face of this earth. They don't glorify themselves. They glorify Jesus. Verse 11. It says they have unity. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be what? One. As we are one. Unity. A supernatural kind of unity of people that just, it stands out in the world. It's a different thing. Listen, I don't know about you. I, I cried when our global mission partners participated with us in our Easter worship service. Straight across the globe, different nations, across borders, across cultural boundaries and separations, different languages, there's a unity of the children of God, the people of God, united in the name of Jesus. That's profound. And it goes on, even past the passage that we read. Verse 13 says, they are marked with supernatural joy. Let me read it for you. Jesus says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Joy, joy, joy that is beyond the circumstance, joy that surpasses understanding, joy from Christ himself marks the people of God. There's a lot more. Even in this prayer, there's a lot more, but certainly throughout scriptures, there's a lot more about where do you find the people of God. If you're looking for the people on mission for God, don't look at a building. You find a people with a mission and a purpose in life. You find a people who obey the word of God, who trust in what Jesus has said, who, who live for his glory, glorify him. You find a people of God who've got a mission. They know that they are sent to seek and to save the lost. They're continuing the mission of Jesus to bring his light and his life to the world that needs it so desperately. You find a people who are walking in supernatural unity. They're a family that doesn't make sense. They come together as one body and they walk in a supernatural joy and a peace that passes all understanding. Oh, those people, they stand out. They stand out in the world. They're different. Not a building, but a people on mission for the glory of Jesus Christ. And you know, not a people who, who, who look at their church as a religious service provider where they, they, they send their payment in like a gem membership or a club membership or something and they send their payment in they're waiting for their services to come exactly according to their preferences. No, 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 no. Friends, that's a dead place. That's where, as, uh, as Tozer said, Rote becomes rut, turns into rot. That's death. Life is a people of God united on mission for the glory of Jesus Christ, driving together at the purposes of sharing the gospel news with all the world. That's the church. In 1734, Jonathan Edwards was pastor in a little town called Northampton, western Massachusetts, and, um, and he is. The town was disinterested in the gospel. He felt like every time I got up to open the Bible, they cared less that week than they did the week before. I mean, nothing was happening. The young people, they would kind of go crazy. Um, on, and uh, on Sunday nights, they would go out and party and because um, they were released from the Sabbath restrictions and they kind of used Sunday night as kind of a party night. And, 
And in 1734, one of those young men got sick and died suddenly. And Jonathan Edwards preached the the funeral. And just a, a few weeks later, a young woman of that same set, she got sick and died suddenly. And all of a sudden, these young people in the town, they started to wonder if they've got the answers to the questions They stopped partying on Sunday night and they started gathering up for their own little Bible study to start studying the scriptures and see if they could find some answers to the questions that they were feeling inside them. A few mature Christian disciples came along to support them and to help them to find the answers and together they went on like that on Sunday night for a few months and then in December, about a half dozen of them gave their lives to Christ one of them was a girl, a young lady who was very famous for being part of the, of the party scene in the small town. It was just a small town, 1,200 people, that's all. And a half dozen of these young people gave their life to Christ. Friends, from that moment, the Holy Spirit of God was stirred up and poured out on that town. And week after week, for the next four or five months, the church started to fill up on Sunday morning. And on Monday, there was a line outside of Jonathan Edwards' house as people were wanting to have personal appointments with him to pray for their own salvation, sometimes a dozen, two dozen at a time. And the town, the town was changed. 25% of that town in four months came to Christ. Imagine, that's, you know, like 400 people, 300, 400 people came to Christ in that time. Imagine 25% of Colorado Springs coming to Christ in six months. That'd be like 120,000 people coming to Christ between now and Christmas. Imagine the change that that would make and the town was changed. And the great awakening had begun. God does this from time to time. God does this, revival. The Puritans, they expected the Holy Spirit to pull people through three phases of conversion. The first one was awakening, awakening. I've been going through life and and I've been living life as if there is no God, as if I've got all the answers and then suddenly I'm, I'm aware. Maybe there is a God. And maybe I don't have all the answers I need. And maybe there's a a spiritual realm. And and maybe heaven is real. Maybe Jesus is real. And the truth is I don't know much about it. It's an awakening. It's an awakening to the reality of divine and spiritual things. And after this awakening, they would expect you you to go through a second step. Because naturally, when you know that God is there, you start to wonder, I wonder how I am with God. I wonder how our relationship is. Because I don't know a lot about all of this, but I do know that I've made some mistakes. And I do know there's sin in my life. And the second step is a step of conviction. Conviction. Where someone becomes aware of their sin and their mistakes. And truth be told, the things that they were doing, they start to feel different about. The things that they used to, to do and, 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 and play and, and drink and, and click and, 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 and to, to bring pleasure to themselves, all those things, they start to, they start to come up a little empty and, and they feel a conviction. They move on to a third stage. Confession. They start to ask themselves, could I 
throw myself on the mercy seat of Christ? Could I? Could I go to Jesus? Could I be forgiven? Could I be redeemed by what he has done on the cross? Could my life be different? And could I find some, some, some relief from these worldly pleasures that used to feed me and, and now just make me feel sick and I can't escape them? Could I find a new way of life? Could I know new life in Jesus Christ? And they profess their faith and they believe in Jesus and they find new life in him. Awakening leads to conviction, leads to confession, and new life in Jesus. Folks, straight across the globe, there is an awakening. There is an awakening that maybe God is real. Maybe God is there. Maybe I don't have all the answers I need the questions that I'm being presented. Maybe my life is more delicate than I thought. Maybe the afterlife is more relevant than I thought. Maybe, maybe I need to understand where I am with God. There's awakening. If we, church, if we will shift from confusion to clarity, if we will shift from building as a, a church as a, as a building or a religious service provider to, to church as a people on mission for Jesus, if we will shift and if we will, we, if we will pray and if we will prepare and if we will open ourselves up, friends, we could host revival right here. God is on the move. He is doing big things and there is new life for all who turn to Jesus Christ. Prepare. And pray for revival. So Lord, we pray for this mission. This mission right here that we get to call First Pres, Colorado Springs, that you've, you've called us to be a part of in one way or another. We thank you for the salvation we own in Jesus. We thank you for the purpose in our lives that it gives us. We thank you, Lord, that wherever we are, we can reflect your light, your life. Make us that people who walk with you who know you, and who reflect you everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprescos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.